So as we think about this idea of honor, how many of you have been to uh, a funeral sometime recently? You know, at funerals, a lot of times what we do is we, we hear people honoring that person, right? Can I encourage you to do something? Honor them today. <laughs> honor them while they're alive. Honor them with, with your words. Honor them with your actions. Honor them with your attitude. Honor them. Honor them. If there's someone in your life that has made a difference in your life, tell them. If there's someone in your life that you just love, tell them. Tell them. So I went to a funeral this past week for Manny Diaz, pastor of the Brethren Fellowship here in town. And he, had, he has been in the Chambersburg area for 15 years. And um, he's someone that I've prayed with, someone that I've prayer walked with, someone that I've had meetings with from time to time. And, and I always come out of funerals like that. You know, you hear people get up and they talk about the difference that Manny made in their life and how they changed and how they challenged and how they were challenged by him. And I always come out of stuff like that and I go, what about me? You know, what are they going to say at my funeral? Not that I want people to say fancy stuff. Well, I was talking about this to Sandy. She said, you're not planning on leaving anytime soon, are you? <laughs> but, you know, I got to thinking about it. These things with Manny... The people that get up and talked about Manny, they weren't all stuff that happened in the last six months. These were things that were years and years long, right, that was going on in his life. Years he had invested in other people's lives. Years he had served the Lord faithfully. And so he had built a legacy that they talked about. And as we come through Easter uh, and, and we see Jesus going back to heaven you know, it's easy to look at Jesus' legacy, right? We see what he left behind. He left behind the disciples who in turn spread the gospel throughout the world, who in turn spread the gospel to us, and we spread the gospel beyond us, right? Jesus' legacy is us, right? And I'm like thinking about this, you know, I'm turning, I just turned 50, and my youngest child just got his learner's permit for crying out loud. And I'm going, holy smokes, I'm getting old. And so I look at my life and I say, what am I leaving behind? What's my legacy? You all know what this is? It's a baton. What do you do with this? Right. So if you start out the race with a baton in your hand and never hand it off to anybody, what happens? You lose. You get disqualified. The idea of a baton is you pass it off. Right. And then the next person carries it. Guess what? The next person that carries it might be faster than you. Right? But that's all right. We pass it off. And you know what? In our journey of life, as we think about what we're leaving behind, this morning we're going to talk about what our legacy is and what we leave behind. I think it's important for us to understand this is our time to carry the baton. And when we get that baton in our hand, guess what we need to do? Run like crazy. Right? Do what we do best. If our 
If we're the best starter, then we start with it. If we're the best on the corners, then we're somewhere in the middle. If we're the best finisher, then we're at the end. But we do what we do best. We carry the baton, and we carry it to the best of our ability because we're going to pass it off to the next generation or the next people behind. So this morning, it's kind of interesting. I, I wanted to go to Jesus and his legacy and what he bought, left behind. But guess what? God had better ideas. And so I've learned that I should probably listen when he, uh, when he tells me to go somewhere else. And so I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I was going to talk about the disciples, and, and he said, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Kings. I'm like, what? 1 Kings? So how many of you read in 1 Kings this week? So I'm the only one in the house. Cool. But I got really excited about this story. And it's a story uh, that happens with a man named Elijah. How many of you have ever heard of Elijah? So Elijah, if I, can, if I can just tell a little bit of the story before we read, Elijah was part of the, the nation of Israel at a time when Israel had turned from God. They were doing their own thing. They were worshiping the idols of Baal. There, there were many prophets of Baal that were around. Um, the, the leaders had actually killed all of the prophets when we get to this point in the story except Elijah. So all of God's prophets were dead, except Elijah. So some of you remember the story from Sunday school. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. And so they built these two altars. And, and the, the prophets of Baal, they, they pray to their God and, and nothing happens. Elijah prays to his God and fire comes down from heaven and not only wipes out his altar, but it wipes out their altar as well. And all the prophets of Baal are killed. And the king at that time says, I can't believe what Elijah did. He needs to be dead. So Elijah goes into hiding. He finds himself asleep in a cave, basically sucking his thumb. Woe is me. All the other prophets are dead, and now the king's coming after me. I might as well be dead too. But then he has this encounter with God. This is where we're going to pick up the story. 1 Kings 19, 9 and 10. There he, that's Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. So here we have Elijah whining the israelites won't listen they killed all the prophets i think god's question here to elijah wasn't because god didn't know what was going on (laughs) right god didn't say what's going on because he needed to be filled in a little bit god knew what was going on but here's what i think god was saying i think god was saying what are you doing here You know what I mean? What are you doing here? You're whining. You're afraid. You're not confident that I have this. You're not confident that I have the power. So God gives Elijah some instructions. In verse 11, we see this. Maybe. There it is. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God says to Elijah, go up on the mountain and get ready. 
Go up on the mountain and get ready. So then this happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So Elijah goes up here and he sees these incredibly powerful things. Powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks. He shook the earth with an earthquake, rained down fire from on high. But you know where Elijah recognized God? In a gentle whisper. In a gentle whisper. None of that, from what we read here, had an effect on Elijah until he heard God's voice in a gentle whisper. He immediately covered his face because he knew it was God himself. You know what? Sometimes I think we're expecting God to shake the mountains. Sometimes I think we're expecting God to shout instructions to us. Maybe write on the wall what we're supposed to do. But you know what? In my experience, most times, God speaks in a small, quiet voice that speaks to my inner soul. And I know it's him because I recognize the voice. It's calming. It's loving. It's peace-filled. And once again, there's an exchange between God and Elijah. It's interesting that it's the same question and the same answer. And if you just read it without really thinking a whole lot about it, you think that Elijah answered the same whiny way. But I kind of think the second time, Elijah answered a little different. See, the first time he was like, look at what they did. I've been zealous. The Israelites have rejected. But now I think it's more like, well, here's what's going on, God. I need your help. The Israelites have rejected. They killed all the prophets. They want me dead. What are we going to do? I feel like after this encounter with God, he would have answered this a little different. He would have had a little more confidence. I need your help. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. So verses 15 and 16, go ahead and go one more. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, and a whole bunch of weird names, to succeed you as prophet. So here's what happened. A couple things I think we can see here. God shows up, speaks to Elijah. Elijah comes to his senses and says, all right, God's got this. And what's God do? He gives him an assignment. He says, here's what I want you to do. This tells me some really important things about God. Number one, God has patience. Right? How many of you think God's waiting, waiting up there just to zap you with a lightning bolt when you mess up, right? I don't think God's that way. I think God has immense patience. It's unbelievable what he's put up with in my life, right? The patience he's had with me. And I know each of you can probably say the same thing. So Elijah was here sucking his thumb, whining, wanting to give up. But God speaks to him lovingly, quietly. The second thing here is God showed his force, showed his power, shook the mountains. 
Strong wind, fire. He wanted to remind Elijah, you know what? I'm God over everything. I'm all powerful here. The second thing here is God didn't even address Elijah's whining. Didn't even address it. I think that's kind of cool. God reaffirmed Elijah's call. And the, second, the last thing is, God gives Elijah specific instructions. Go do this, go do this, go do this. So he heads off to do what God told him to do. So how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Number one, it gives me comfort that a great prophet like Elijah wasn't perfect. <laughs> what legacy do I want to leave behind? Steve wasn't perfect. Don't ever put me on a pedestal just because I'm a pastor. Never. Don't put, you, don't put people on pedestals. Ever. We're imperfect. The beauty of that imperfection is God still works through me. God still works through you. The next thing is this. I always relied on God's power. That's what I want people to say about me. When stuff was going bad, when stuff was going crazy, what would Steve do? He hit his knees. He said, all right, God, if you don't show up, we're in trouble. It's you or nothing. Third thing I learned from this is I accepted my calling. When God says do something, we don't argue with him. Although I have. God called me to be a pastor. You know what I did? Laughed at him. I like to tell the joke, and this might sound kind of sacrilegious, but I always say, what God do, fall down and bump his head that day? Me, a pastor? But you know what? We argue with him. <laughs> but I want to argue with God less. When God says, do this, I want to be faithful like Elijah. Go do it. Carry out my assignments obey god says go over there i go over there so elijah heads off and we get to first kings chapter 19 19 through 21 so elijah he goes from there and he finds elisha and elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair so get this he had 24 oxen Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What, I, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah, becoming his servant. A couple things here. When Elijah took his cloak and he put it around Elisha's shoulders, in those days, the cloak was something that was very powerful. The cloak was the sign that this was a prophet. This was a man of God. This was a man who, spoke, who heard from God and spoke those tr that truth. And so when Elijah took it and put it around Elisha's shoulders, it was a sign that Elisha was now to take on the mantle of being the next prophet. So the next thing that Elisha does could seem really peculiar. At least to us. So it says he killed all of his oxen and he burnt up his farm equipment, cooks the meat on an altar, and makes a big feast for all the people. 
what in the world was Elisha doing? So those of you who know your history, in the year 1519, there was a Spanish explorer named Hernan Cortez, and he landed in Mexico with 600 men. And when they had unloaded all the ships, all their equipment onto the beach, Cortez turns to his men and says three scary words. Burn the ships. So what happens if they're not successful? (laughs) Well, think about how motivated those 600 men were knowing they had no escape route burn the ships i think that's what elisha was doing here he was a pretty wealthy guy to have 12 pair of oxen and all of this farm equipment he killed them all and burned all his farm equipment i think elisha was saying there's no going back i'm in this is it uh if this doesn't work out uh, can't go back to farming i just burn it all up nothing to fall back on all in. Another thing I like to see here is he took the meat and he cooked it and he gave it freely. There's two ways we can look at that. Number one, he was serving the people by feeding them. Number two, I think it was a burnt offering. I think he was giving back to God saying, all right, God, you gave me all of this. You're asking me to do a new assignment now, so I'm giving it all away. I'm giving it all away. I'm offering it to the people around me. So back to my question of legacy. How do I want people to see me? How do you want people to see you? I think as disciples of Jesus, we should want to be seen as all in. I am all in. When the Lord asks me to do something, I do it. So Elisha becomes Elijah's attendant. Elijah takes him under his wing, teaching him, mentoring him. If we read the rest of the stories there in 1 Kings, we see lots of times where Elisha was never far from Elijah. He was always right next to him. He was learning from him. His faith in God increased greatly by watching God work through Elijah. He was inspired by Elijah's ministry. You know, there are people who can learn from us. I don't care where you are, in your journey. There are things people can learn from you. You guys hear me talk about this all the time. And it's because I think it's that important. Our journey is so important to share with other people. Where we've been and where we are. Because we can say what the difference is. Right? You guys heard me give my testimony Was it last Sunday? Yeah, about meeting with my buddies from high school. That was exactly what I did. They knew me here. (laughs) Now I'm here. And I was able to say, here's why. You see, there's always somebody on your journey that you can teach. Always something that you can pass on. I don't care how far you are in your journey. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be an apostle. You you, You can just, you share your story. You teach, you pass on what you've learned. People's faith will be increased by your story. So now we go to 2 Kings. Let's look at the rest of the story. 
2 Kings 2, verses 1 through 6. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elisha said, Elijah said, I'm getting them mixed up. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives. And as you, this is getting old, isn't it? Same story, right? So 50 men from the company of prophets went and stood at, at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak. Now listen, this is important. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. That's where I'll stop. So it was obvious here. Elijah's ministry is starting to wind down. And at first glance, Elijah kept saying, Excuse me. (laughs) That was noisy. So Elijah is telling Elisha, Why don't you stay here? The Lord sent me somewhere else. And Elisha says, No, I want to be with you. Now, we can look at this and we say, Well, was Elisha afraid? Was Was he feeling like he wasn't quite ready yet? I think something different here. I think Elisha was just staying faithful. I think he loved Elijah enough that he he wanted to be with him. He was eager to learn. He was eager to serve. And so there was this back and forth. And we get to this point where Elijah looks at Elisha and says, so what can I do for you? So if we read these stories, I think we look at Elisha serving Elijah. But in reality, here at the end of Elijah's life, I think we see that all along, Elijah's been serving Elisha. Elijah has been teaching, imparting, showing Elisha what to do, preparing him to carry on the mission, imparting wisdom on him. And so Elijah says, what can I do for you? Now, Elisha's response, I think, is pretty powerful. 
Elisha says, what you got? I want double of that. And a lot of times we could look at this and we'd say, you know, this might be prideful. You know, he wants double what his mentor has. He wants double what his teacher. You know what? I don't think it's that way at all. I think Elisha looked at what Elijah could do. He saw the power that, that flowed through God through Elijah. I think he saw the miracles that Elijah did to serve the people. And Elisha says, I want to serve the people twice that much. Give me twice the power. I want to be used twice what my mentor was used to serve the people, to help the people. See, I don't think it was ever about Elijah. I don't think it was ever about Elisha. It was always about what can I do for the people? How can I serve the Lord? I want a double portion of the presence of the Lord. I want a double portion of the power that comes with it so that I can serve God even more. So then Elijah goes off to heaven. And I think it's interesting. This is something that I hadn't ever noticed before. And I'd read this story bunches of times. But what was Elijah's last miracle, class? What's that? Parting the, parting the Jordan, right? With his cloak. What was Elisha's first miracle? Parting the Jordan. See, there was a seamless transition from teacher to student. Elijah had taught Elisha enough. Elisha was ready to serve. And it's kind of interesting that if we read on a little bit farther, there's, there's a story where the very next thing Elisha does is he comes to a town that had really bad water, really poor water. And Elisha, the, the text says, healed the water up until this day. It's still clean, it says in the writing. So not only did Elisha do the same exact miracle, but the next miracle he did served the people, just like Elijah. See, it wasn't about having a double portion for me. It was a double portion so that I could pour it out. Those who we are teaching, those who we are mentoring, we should want them to have a double portion. We should want them to be stronger, more anointed, more in step with the Holy Spirit than us. Basically, as a pastor, my goal should be to work myself out of a job so that the person, that some, a young person comes and takes my place and does way better than I could ever do. That should be what we want to leave behind. So what legacy are you leaving behind? I would encourage you. Pass your baton. You know, there's a moment in time in a race where the person handing it off and the person receiving it both have a hold of the baton. I believe a picture that I like to share is we should be doing this. I should be receiving and I should be pulling up. So my question to you is, who are you receiving from? Who's mentoring you? I know that's kind of a 
kind of a catchword nowadays. You got to have a mentor. You got, but it's really important that we have somebody pouring into our life, someone speaking truth into our lives, someone holding us accountable. Who's doing that for you? Is that ouch? I think some of us don't want to be accountable to somebody else. Quite frankly, some of us might think we know it all. But we need to have somebody mentoring us. Somebody pouring into us. And you know what? You need to be pouring out as well. Again, I don't care where you are in your journey. Be poured into and pour out. That's the story of Elijah and Elisha in a nutshell. Elisha was poured into and poured into and poured into, and immediately when Elijah was gone, there was no bumpy road, there was no nothing. The ministry continued right on. Matter of fact, I believe it continued stronger because he had a double portion. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would continue to pour into us. I pray that we would be open vessels. I pray that we would be mindful of who we are pouring into as we are poured into. Lord, I pray that you would make those divine connections. You would, you would connect us with mentors. You would connect us with people that we can mentor and, and lead and pour into. Lord, I pray that it would be a continuous process. Again, Lord, I pray that we here at the spring would not be content with just being filled up. Lord, I pray for a double portion over the folks in this room. I pray for an anointing, an anointing of boldness, an anointing that, that brings their spiritual gifts to life. Lord, I pray that, that, that the folks in this room would have their spiritual gifts come alive in the community around us. That there would be healings. There would be prophecy. There would be words of wisdom. Do your work through us, Lord. As we say, we are all in. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.